Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. You say, wait a second, we're preaching through the book of Hebrews. Yeah, but I told you what we're doing. We're grabbing some of those names of the book of Hebrews. And as we talk about those, we're going back to look at the Old Testament narratives and the stories that are in the Old Testament. It's the reason that those people made it into Hebrews 11 to talk about their faith. And so today we are at one of the great passages in all of the Bible. One of the most incredible narratives, it would have to be listed in any top 10 list of Bible narratives, Bible stories, teaching passages, anywhere in the Bible. Genesis chapter 22. Today we're going to be talking about a narrative, which means that I don't give you the main idea of it until the very end. It's a story, really happened. But it's a story that has a climax, it has a solution, it has a resolution, it has a problem that we start off with here. And so I'm just going to jump right into the text and into the problem. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1? After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Dear Lord, as we look today at one of the great passages of the Bible, we pray that our faith would be challenged, that it would be encouraged and increased, and Lord, that you would be lifted up and glorified, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We have in this text the setting that is a startling setting. It's almost like that 2 a.m. phone call that jolts you awake or that noise that happens right before you're asleep, and the startling fact comes in, and here it's after all of these things have happened. It says that God tested Abraham. Now, we know from the book of James that we cannot say we are tempted by God, but we also know from the book of Job that God allows tests to come against us sometimes that allows us to strengthen our faith as we walk through it with endurance. We know from our own personal life that God allows things to come into our life that challenges our faith to find out whether we're going to be obedient to God or whether we're going to give in and whether we're going to compromise. And this is one of those times in the life of Abraham. And we know the story of Abraham. We know that Abraham was called out from the land of Ur, and as he went out, he went out by faith to a land that he didn't know existed. We know that he had times of weakness where he would say that his wife was his sister, or times where he had been promised a son and that son hadn't happened in the way that he wanted it, in the timing that he wanted it. And we've been there as well, where God hasn't necessarily provided in the way or in the time that we've wanted it. And we know what he did with Ishmael, his other son. We understand that he was very old when the promise of Isaac came and when the birth of Isaac came, that he was an old man. And here, after all of those temptations and all of those tests, we see the last great test of Abraham. And it says that God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said three times in this text, here am I. Sometimes that's all we can do when God puts us through a test or God challenges us or as we're walking in our faith, when God calls us to do something, it's just to be available to God and say, God, here am I. What do you want me to do, God? And he said to him, and listen to the repetition here, 
Take your son, take your only son, Isaac, and we understand that Abraham had Ishmael, and we understand all that had happened with the son of promise. And so here this passage is focusing in and is zooming the laser in and is saying, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. And lest anyone be confused and think that he doesn't love his son, it says, the son whom you love, take your son. Repeats this at the end as well. Your only son, the son that you love, and we want you to go to a very specific place. The place is to go to the land of Moriah. And here comes the shocking part. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And immediately in our minds, we begin to think and wrestle with the fact that God just told him to sacrifice his son. And God is not a God that requires human sacrifice. And we know this, and we don't understand at this point in the story exactly what's taking place. And I'm sure Abraham at this point didn't understand exactly what God was gonna do. The thoughts that flooded his mind as he had received the command from God and as he's sitting there trying to put together But God, this is the son of promise. This is the one that you have told me through all your descendants will come the blessings. And now you're telling me, God, to sacrifice this son, my only son, Isaac, the son who I love. How do those two commands of God fit together in my life? It seems as if though I have a choice where I have two contradictions. And there are gonna be times in your life too where it seems as though God is asking you to do something and you're sitting there wondering, but God, how does this fit with something else that I thought you were asking me to do? And how do I put these two together? And it just doesn't seem to fit, God, what's going on? How do I follow you and seek you and know your will when, when it seems like you're asking me to do things that don't make sense? And what do we do in those situations? We simply say to God, here am I. We trust, we leave it to God to solve all those different issues, and we do what Abraham did here. He said he went to the land of Moriah to offer him there. Now, there's some discussion, there's some contradiction, there's some, some, some debate back and forth between whether this land of Moriah is the exact same land of Moriah that's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 3.1, that David purchased the exact same place where the temple was to be built. The exact, now it makes a really cool story and it'll preach really well if this is the exact same place where the temple is to be built. Some people say that they don't believe that this is exactly it. We can't know for sure. The text doesn't tell us for sure exactly where this is. It says the land of Moriah and it says to a place where I will show you. And so there is a very specific place and it could very well be the threshing floor that David purchased. It could very well be the temple spot where Solomon built the temple. It could very well be the spot where sacrifices later took place. We don't know for sure, but we do know that God had a specific plan and a specific place, and he told him to go there and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So what would you do? That's what Abraham does. Verse three, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. You know, I've, I've heard this preached before where it says that Abraham was so enthusiastic about obeying the will of God that, that Abraham got up early in the morning and he pursued after this difficult challenge that God had presented to him. But as I studied this passage and as I thought through a father being asked 
to kill his own son. I don't think he got up early in the morning excited about the task that lay before him. I think he stayed up all night trying to reconcile what God had asked him to do in his own mind, thinking through, how, Lord? Why, Lord? What's going on, Lord? How could you ask me to kill my son, my only son, the son whom I love? I think he was already up. And I think there was an internal struggle that was going on that we can't miss in the text as we only get the Cliff Notes version. I think we have to reconcile the fact that Abraham was struggling with how do I obey God in such a difficult task, a difficult assignment? I know if it had been me, I'd be up all night wrestling in my own mind, trying to figure out how these things fit together. And yet Abraham obeyed. It says he arose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Now, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. It just gives us a glimpse. But I'm willing to bet you that he didn't tell his wife what he was about to go do. How many of you think I'm right? Raise your hand if you agree with me. Some of you disagree with me. That's okay. You can be wrong. (laughs) If he had told his wife what he was about to go do, there would probably be an inserted verse in here about the Holy Terror that insulted in the royal rumble that would have taken place before he was able to leave with Isaac. I'm not questioning her faith. I'm just saying, can you imagine having to tell a spouse, we're about to go take our son, our only son, you know, the son that was promised, the son that was the miracle son. I'm gonna go sacrifice him on the mountain over here. I bet when he left and, and he was asked, where are you going? I bet he just said, we're gonna go worship. It's not a full lie, may not be the full truth. We don't know what he said. He said here, the text does tell us he got up early, he went on his donkey and he took off. And look what else it says. It says here in verse three that he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And then he arose and he went to the place that God had told him. And there's your setting. The setting that gets it all started is he was given a command. He got up early. He obeyed the command. He even cut the firewood. He did it himself. It cost him some time. He puts it together, and then he takes off on his journey. And this is not a short journey. This is on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. The estimation is about 50 miles that he had traveled. And so as you're traveling on a long journey, a 50-mile journey, and you're going through, I can only imagine in my mind, and we don't know, but I can only fathom that that was one very quiet journey. I can only imagine that every time a conversation began to take place, Abraham in his mind began to drift back and began to think back to what he was about to do in sacrificing his son. And I bet there was very little laughter. I bet it was one of those like when you're in a car on the way to a funeral or when you're on the way to some very serious moment, maybe when you've gotten in trouble and you're riding home with dad, you know, when you get home, something's going to happen and you don't want like what's going to happen. But, but there's a serious moment. There's a judgment, a consequence that's coming. And I bet this was one of the loneliest, most miserable three-day trips that anyone has ever been on as they traveled for three days. And as Abraham looked up, I bet he wasn't excited about seeing the place. I bet it wasn't with enthusiasm that he saw it from a distance. And in verse five, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham grabbed the wood. And he says, he took the wood and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand fire and a knife. And so they both went together. And in verse seven, it says, Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said to him, here am I. 
my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said to him, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So both of them went together. Can you imagine the trip that they took? It was up a mountain. It wasn't like they jumped off the donkey and seen cuts and seen appears and next thing you know there's a full altar built and things are taking place. It, they traveled together up the mountain with his son carrying the wood, with him carrying the fire in one hand and a knife in the other and they began to walk up perhaps steep areas or treacherous areas and as they walked up in those areas, the thoughts that would be going through the mind of Abraham as what God had asked him to do and here was his son and he hadn't told his son the plan or his son wouldn't have been asking, where's the lamb? At this point, his son still didn't know what was happening and at some point on the way up the mountain, Moses has got to tell his son, son, you are the offering. You are the one that is going to have to to be the offering. You are the one that's going to have to lay down on this altar. You are the one. What What does Isaac do? Does he outrun his dad? I mean, his dad's old. I'm not near that old, but some of you who are young could outrun me and you could get away. Does he take off and drop the wood and say, I'm out of here, I'm leaving, and off he goes? That's not what he does. It says in verse 9, when they came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid Isaac on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Can you get the scene? The imagery? As they worked together to build the altar up, and he took his son, and he laid his son on the altar And with the fire setting off to the side, he took the knife that he had brought and he takes the knife and and perhaps it was like a machete, perhaps it was like a dagger, we don't know from the text, but he takes the knife and he raises the knife to kill his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. And I can only imagine the sweat beads that were forming from the inner turmoil that he's experiencing and, and the agony and maybe the tears that are dripping from his face as he looks at his only son and he begins to take the knife and to drop the knife to kill his only son and all of a sudden you hear Abraham Abraham here am I says to us the angel of the Lord called to him he said to him don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son your only son from me Now, how do we know that this is a Christophany for sure here in this Old Testament passage? We understand what the angel of the Lord means, but we also look and see what the angel of the Lord had said to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord said to him, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And in the beginning, we understand it was God who gave the command. And yet it's the angel who is here talking to Abraham saying, you haven't withheld the son from me. And so here we see even a glimpse of the triune God as the angel of the Lord talks to him. And in verse 13, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And what did he see? Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns Do you think that ram had been there all along? The text doesn't tell us. 
But I have to imagine that in that thicket, the whole time that they're building the altar, the whole time that they're preparing this, there's something there that they just didn't see. And this ram, as he looks up, he sees is caught by its horns. It's not a lamb per se, as Isaac was asking for, but it was a ram and the ram was caught by its horns in the thicket so that it wasn't blemished, it wasn't scarred. It was waiting there as the perfect substitute to be substituted for Isaac. And there it was and God had provided And the whole time there was a provision there, but he didn't see it. And the Lord opened his eyes and he looked and he saw the ram that was perfectly caught in the thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, it tells us, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. That's the main point of our passage today too here. Is that whenever God gives you two commands, two directives, two things that he wants you to do, and you can't always put those together, that you trust God because God will provide. The Lord here had provided by ram caught in the thicket. And then it said to this day that on the mount, the Lord, it shall be provided. Now we have to ask a few questions. Is God an evil God for asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? The answer to that's easy, no. God knew all along he was gonna stop him in the process. He had the substitute that was to be there. This was a testing of Abraham's faith. This was an opportunity for God to prove that he is the God who provides to allow that substitute to take place there. And so we understand that God is not an evil God or a malicious God. We understand that God had a purpose and a plan in this. And you can't do this passage justice just in reading it to look over it because of all the implications this passage has into the New Testament and otherwise where we look and we see that Isaac is asking, where is the lamb? At the very spot where potentially the temple was to be built. And we understand that the lamb was not to be found that day. There was a ram caught in a thicket, but not the lamb because we understand that one day John the Baptist would look and proclaim that behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and that Jesus was that perfect lamb that was to be sacrificed that was the only son, the only begotten son, the son whom the father loved And just as Isaac carried wood up the mountain, Jesus carried his cross right to his his crucifixion. And we understand that Isaac here is a foreshadowing of the coming sacrifice of Jesus. And here that the lamb or the ram was a substitute, just as Jesus was a substitute for my sin and for your sin on the cross. We understand that God had a plan and he had a picture and this beautiful image of him asking Abraham to sacrifice his son only proves that God will do anything anything he asked us to do and more, where God, the loving father, laid down his son, his only begotten son, and crucified him for my sin and for your sin. That's how much God loves you. So what do we do with this passage? That's a great picture. It's a great picture of substitution. It's a great picture of living by faith. And you say, how did Abraham do it? Well, we understand You've got it here in your text. You've got it in the Hebrews text as well. 
where you look in verse five and he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Some of your translations may have, we will go over there and worship and come again to you. And you understand that Abraham, as he had wrestled through this, had determined in his own mind that God was gonna perform a miracle and that's how he was able to do this because they were gonna go, they were gonna worship, they were gonna return. And we understand when we look at the Hebrews passage as he talks about this, that it says uh, particularly of, of Abraham, that by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And so here, the inspired writer to the book of Hebrews, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands that in Abraham's mind, he was doing this because he understood God could even raise him from the dead. And so Abraham was expecting a miracle. He was expecting God to come through. And then it says, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And then our Hebrews passage moves on to discuss other Old Testament saints. So in trying to draw some application from this text for you today, I want to bring to your attention four application points that I think may help us as we look at this remarkable Old Testament narrative. The first point of application that I have for you that I think we see here in the text is that to walk with God, you must give God your past, but you must also give God your future. Think about what Abraham's being asked to do here. He was asking words that reminded him to go to a place that he would show him and remembering that he was asked to come out of the land of Ur to go to a place that he didn't know existed. And so we understand that God was asking him to give up his past, to give up the comfort and the surroundings. And we talked about that last time that we were on this series. But then we understand here that God's asking him to give up the son, the son of promise, the son that is the promise of the future. And so God is saying to him, lay down the son that is the promise of the future. And God may ask some of you, as you try to walk with God, as you try to grow closer to God, as you try to increase in your faith and to get to know God better, he may ask you to let him have your past and to let him have your future. What if God tells you halfway through your educational process, I want you to change majors? It doesn't do a whole lot of good for your meetings with the registrar or your advisor or any other things, but if God asks you to do something of that nature, what do you do? You give God your future. What if after you graduate, God sends you a difficult assignment or asks you to change careers or to do something of that nature and you say, God, this doesn't really make sense. I planned all along for this and now you're shifting my path. And sometimes we just have to recognize that we have to give God our future. And think about Abraham here. Abraham was the bargainer. We remember back when Abraham and Lot, and he knew that Sodom was gonna be destroyed. What did Abraham do? Abraham went to God and he said, God, if we start out with this number, and he was the businessman, and he kept bringing it down and bargaining with God. And then when God said he was gonna give him a son of promise, he said, just use Ishmael, and he bargained there for Ishmael. But now Abraham, at the end of his life, he's no longer trying to bargain with God. He already understands that God is a good, just God, a loving God, an omnipotent God, an omniscient God. And at this point in time, when God says go, he says, okay, God, I'll go. There was no more bargaining. It's the second point of application that I think we see here in this text. Perhaps God was testing Abraham to see if he was trusting in Isaac or in him. Said a different way, he was wondering if he was trusting in the son of promise or in the provider. Or perhaps to bring it to our context, he's wondering if he was trusting in the gift or in the giver of the gifts. 
Perhaps Abraham had begun to idolize his son so much because this was the son, the only son, the son of promise, that this test was to see, will you put your faith and trust in the idolizing the son or will you put your faith and trust in the provider of the son? Now we can have this happen to us too. God gives us good gifts and different gifts, not like this, but in God gives us a certain gift and then we begin to idolize the gift that God has given us so much that it begins to pull us away from the giver of the gift. And whether it's your intellectual ability or your athletic talent or your musical ability or whatever gift it may be that God has given you, or maybe he's giving you the gift of a future spouse and you start in that relationship and next thing you know, you're idolizing another person that God may be giving you instead of idolizing or worshiping God in the way that you should and the gift becomes more important than the giver. We can't do that. Now, you're not there yet, many of you. Faculty and staff in the room are there. But I do want to issue a word of caution about idolizing your children. We live in a society today where children are idolized all the time. Their sporting events, their grades, Their accolades become more important than looking to see what is God doing with a certain situation. We even experience this here at school where something will happen and the parents will begin to call us and complain about the way we're trying to handle the situation rightly before the Lord because it's their son or their daughter and there's very clear. They're not looking to see what the Lord's up to. They're not looking to see if there's any fault. They're looking just to make sure that that son or daughter is taken care of. And anytime you put a child up on a pedestal and you let that child become the the idolatry of your worship and you begin to exalt that child over God, that you're in for hard times, not just in your own life, but also in that child's life, because you have then made that child the center of the world. And if that child thinks they're the center of the world, when they get out in the world and nobody else thinks they're the center of the world, they're in for hard times. So my encouragement to you is that as you eventually have children, if that's what God has for you, and if that's not, that's okay too, but as you eventually have children, don't make that child the center of the universe. Allow that child to understand that God is the center of the universe and they have to fit into your family and they have to fit into your schedule and they have to fit into your worship of the one true God who will always be the center of the universe. And if you were treated this way and you understand that your parents treated you in such a way that everything centered around you and that it was all about idolatry, here we have a lesson of Abraham laying down his son because he trusted in God more than he trusted in Isaac. And that was a lesson that Isaac would never forget as long as he lived that you trust in God before you trust in the things of this earth. Another point I think we see here, God didn't want Isaac's life, God wanted Abraham's obedience. God didn't want Isaac's life. He's the son of promise. He wanted Abraham's obedience. He had two opposites here. The son of promise, sacrifice him. With two opposites that we see in our own lives as well. God is a holy and just and righteous God that cannot tolerate sin of any kind. And yet he created us and we are all fallen and have fallen before him and sinned before a holy and righteous God. So knowing that these two could not be reconciled, God had a plan to send his son and his son to die on the cross so that we could then be reconciled to him. And so God took two other contradictions and provided a way that may not have been seen so that Jesus becoming just like us, fully man and fully God could die on the cross for us. And there's a picture of the atonement there. 
But God may ask you to give up something, not because he really wants you to give that up. He just wants you to be willing to give it up. He wants your obedience to give it up. And when that's the case, we have to be willing to give it up because God is worth it. Finally, and the last point of application that I would see here in this text to you is that the Lord will provide. It's the point of the passage. It's what it says in verse 14 is that the Lord will provide. It's the whole point of Hebrews 11 is to understand to trust God and trust his word because the Lord will provide. And here we see that the Lord provided. There was a ram there all along. She couldn't see it. Now it's that time of the semester. And there are some of you who are going through difficult things. We call them midterms or papers. And it's that time where it's in crunch time and you're wondering, God, I have got all of this, I've got 80 hours of studying to do in 40 hours of time and I need a little bit of sleep. How does this work? There's some of you that will hit the end of the semester and you will hit next semester and you will be wondering, God, the money is not working out right. The hours, the job is not working out right. Some situation in my life is not working out right. What do you do? Here am I. You trust, you obey, because God will provide. Maybe faculty and staff in the room today that are encountering difficult circumstances. I know we have a lot of faculty members right now who are struggling with major sicknesses, with cancer, with illnesses, things that are going on in their life. And when those things hit us and those things come against us, what do we do? We understand that God has a plan, that God is a good God, that God loves us, and that we may not ever know the plan, but we have to trust God, walk by faith, knowing that God will provide. Here we see one of the great passages of Scripture. It's given to us so that we will learn to trust God and to walk with Him. Is that what you're doing today? Is that what you're doing right now in your life? Trusting God and walking with Him? Hebrews, it tells us by faith, Abraham was tested. He offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead. And this morning, I know that for most of us in the room, the question is not do we understand the gospel, have we accepted the gospel? It's how do we live out the gospel? And the way we live out the gospel is learning to walk with God and trusting him even when life presents contradictions, when life presents hard times, or when life presents tests, that we understand God will provide. He already has. He provided on the cross. He provided in the resurrection. He's gonna provide again with the resurrection of all of us. He's gonna provide with heaven. So I just wanna make sure that you understand our mission and our purpose here is we share the gospel with you over and over and over and over again. It's not because I don't think you've gotten it. It's not because I think most of you in the room haven't accepted or believed the gospel. It's because when those hard times come, those challenges come, Jesus is all we have to look to. Jesus is all we have to put our trust in and understanding that the Lord will provide. 
as you walk through some of the deep waters of life. It's our desire for you. It's our desire for ourselves. It's that we constantly remind ourselves of who we are and who God is and how much we should love the gracious God who first loved us and that he sent Christ to die on a cross for our sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, my heart is heavy this morning for just a burden for our students, our faculty, and our staff as we have those who are walking through difficult times. Lord, we all recognize that the Christian life brings with it its challenges, its, its tests, and its temptations. So Lord, today, I just want to pray for those who are going through those difficult waters. That Lord, you would give them strength, that you will give them understanding, that you will give them the faith as the faith of Abraham, that even when things don't make sense, that they will trust in you, they will follow you. God, I pray that you will help us to be obedient. And Lord, just to seek to glorify you with all that we do and all that we say. Lord, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.